to Unfamous, the podcast where unfamous pastors preach the fame of God. I'm your host, Cubby Westerberg. Our show is about listening to local reformed pastors who minister to small congregations, but they faithfully exposit the word and preach from the scriptures. These unfamous pastors are unknown to basically everyone but their own congregation. So I want to introduce them to you. Today, we will hear a message from Pastor Joe Reed of Lewis Lake Covenant Church about the time when God allowed Peter to be sifted by Satan, but Jesus prayed for him. Pastor Joe explains what this sifting means in the Christian life and that although it is a difficult process, it results in our good and our becoming more like Christ. In fact, it's something that all Christians go through. His message is from Luke 22, 31 to 32. Let's listen in. I want to direct your minds and your hearts for just a few moments to the words of our Lord Jesus in Luke chapter 22. And Jesus is on the verge of being arrested. The wheels are going to come off in Jesus' life, if you will. He's going to be betrayed by one of his own. He's going to be arrested. He's going to be treated terribly. He's going to be killed. And in the moments before this all takes place, he has a little visit with his disciples in verse 31 and 32 of Luke 22. It's part of that conversation. Listen to the words of our Lord Jesus. Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. Sifting. I, I loved playing in the sandbox when I was a kid. I just really enjoyed that. We didn't have a good sandbox. I don't know where the sand came from. It was more like gravel. But one of the things that I would occasionally do is steal my mother's little gizmo from the kitchen that had a, you know, a screen in it. And you could take that and you could put the sand in, you know, and shake it around and the good stuff would come out and the rocks and, and you could actually get some good sand to play with and use the Tonka trucks in. And uh, we, we recognize the value of things that are sifted. I am just old enough to remember sifting flour, barely. But, you know, the little gizmo that you squeeze and, and the wire goes back and forth and the flower comes out. That was fun, too. I just always kind of enjoyed sifting things. Jesus tells Peter that he's about to be sifted. And he's going to be sifted by Satan. Let me talk to you a little bit about being sifted. Sifting is severe. In this day, what Jesus is talking about the picture that he's using is of a basket of wheat that is shaken violently. And, and kind of the idea is as it's shaken, the, the chaff of the wheat comes up to the top and, and the good stuff stays on the bottom. And you recognize the value of doing this. I am now old enough to eat oatmeal. And so as I eat oatmeal, occasionally I hit a hoe. And that, those are miserable, aren't they? It's like, oh, they're, ter they're terrible. And you don't want that kind of stuff in your oatmeal. You want that all taken out of there, sifted out of there. And, and, and so sifting is something that you got to do, but it can be severe. And, and what Jesus is talking about to Peter here is a time of severe sifting, a time of severe trial. It's, he's talking about Peter's life being turned upside down, shaken around, and, and miserable moments. 
Why, why, why do this? Well, we are all a mixture of, of good and bad, aren't we? But how much of us is good and how much is bad? I mean, assign yourself a percentage. What are you, 95-5, 90-10? How do you know? How do you know? How, how do you really know what kind of a, a person you are? When, when they would sift the wheat out, all the chaff would come up you know, to the top. You know what that's like, too. You've taken a jar of something that's got two different things in it, and you shake it, and the one stuff comes up to the top, and the other kind of settles down to the bottom. I think you could probably do this with Lucky Charms. I imagine if you shook it just right, you get the marshmallows to come up to the top, you know, and kind of sort that out, and that would be a good thing. In life, when we're hit with trials and troubles, and life is really hard and really miserable, you know what usually comes bubbling up to the top? The worst of us. It's then that we become angry, that we become unkind. It's when we're in the pressure cooker of life that the worst of us come squirting out. Sometimes it even surprises us. We're like, it's like, I didn't think I was that kind of a person. I didn't think I was capable of behaving in that sort of way. Peter thought he was a, a big shot, tough guy, <laughs> fisherman, real man, man's man. And Jesus said, you know, things are going to get pretty rough tonight. And Peter says, I will never leave you. I will die for you. Of course he did. He's a big, strong guy and he's loyal and he's, he's a good man. About five hours later, a little girl says to Peter, you were with Jesus, weren't you? And he's like, no, I don't know that guy. Don't associate me with him. Turned into a big coward. Why? He was afraid. He was in the pressure cooker. His life was threatened. And he began to act not in the way that he thought he would, but in really in correspondence to who he actually was. I, I propose to you that we tend to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. I propose to you that we overestimate the power of our virtues and we underestimate our weaknesses. Sifting is severe. Confirmands, you are going to experience hard stuff in life. I wish this wasn't the case. It's inevitable that you will go through really dark and difficult times. Everybody does. You will be sifted. It's interesting, isn't it, that Satan demands to have Peter? Why? Well, I think because Satan had a certain claim on Peter's life. Peter was a sinner. After all, he was part of at least in his pre-Jesus days, part of the kingdom of darkness. The word demand there means to ask for something as if you have a right to have it. And, and what Satan is doing is he's saying, let me have him and I will show you that he belongs to me. That's what he's saying. Life has its challenges. It has its hard stuff. And we've all gone through it or we will. We will all be sifted, and it will be severe. You know of what I'm speaking, you older people especially. Sifting is severe. It's surprising. When, when the sifting comes and life is turned upside down and shaken around, it's very surprising to us. It's surprising in part because we don't actually expect God to allow us to suffer very severely. <laughs> Why would he? He loves us. He's kind to us. God would never turn us over to Satan to be sifted. Are you kidding me? God is like this giant umbrella that protects us from all the bad stuff of life. That's what we think. It's not true. It's not true. God allows us to 
to suffer more severely than we might think. Sifting is surprising. It can be surprising because we didn't expect to behave the way that we did when we were under the pressure cooker. You know, surprising to Peter because Peter is going to fail. He's going to mess up in his sifting. But you know what's surprising to Peter was that Jesus still loved him after he failed. It's remarkable. My wife is not here this morning. She's 600 miles away, and so life is miserable for me. I hate life right now. It's awful. And so I'm just gutting it out the best I can. And But, uh, you know, I remember dating my wife and, and, and trying to win her love and her affections. And, you know, I put my best foot forward, you know, tried not to... Tried to be extra nice, extra kind, extra romantic. Probably put a better, you know, face forward than I actually had. But it worked, and she married me, and that was great. But after about two, three years, she started to figure me out, and she knew me for who I was. And you know what? She still loved me. And I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, really? You know who I am, and you still love me? That was remarkable. Peter is, is going to curse. He is going to, to disavow Jesus. He's going to fail in a, in a really shameful way. He's going to embarrass himself. And Jesus is going to love him anyway. And, and when, when you and I are being sifted, we're going to do and say things that are embarrassing, that are shameful. We are going to fail those tests in certain ways. But what you will find is the surprising love of Christ, who who knows you for who you are, knows you with all your weaknesses, sees your failures, and loves you anyway. It's amazing. It's amazing. Sifting is severe. It's surprising. Thirdly, it's successful. It's successful. Sifting accomplishes exactly what God intends. I, I, I read this. Simon, Simon, put yourself in in Peter's shoes, Simon's shoes. Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you like wheat. Stop. Just one second, Jesus. You said no, right? You said get lost. You said he's mine. You can't have him. You said don't touch him, right? No. No, he didn't. What Jesus said is, I prayed for you. I, I prayed for you which means I'm going to let him have you. The relationship between God and the devil is really complicated sometimes. They're at war with each other. But yet the devil is a tool in God's hands. And God is going to use Satan to defeat Satan. God is going to use Satan to perfect Peter. It's remarkable. God is going to use Satan to separate the good and the bad in Peter. God allows Satan to sift Peter because that sifting process will show Peter who he really is. It will reveal his weaknesses. It will reveal his faults. It will reveal his failure. It will reveal that his his idea of who he was was a pipe dream. He wasn't as great as he thought he was. And trials and troubles and sifting is going to show us things about ourselves that we never thought possible. But when God shows you those things, don't you want to run away from them? 
I mean, it's terrible to be surprised in those ways. Like, oh, I didn't think that was in me. Well, it is. Run away from it. You know it's there now. Sifting purifies us, tests us, tries us. It sifts, shakes the bad stuff up to the top so we can recognize it, identify it, run from it. Sifting gives great proof. Sifting proves our faith is genuine. I am going to, Lord willing, Thursday morning, begin a journey to Tarapoto, Peru. And I'm looking forward to that very much. One of the things that I had to do in order to prepare for that trip was to go visit Dana's daughter, Kara, up at the county auditor's office and file for my passport. And I had to bring birth certificate and all this other paperwork. And she's very nice. And she helped me walk through all of that. And so I sat on pins and needles waiting for my passport to come in. It's like, okay, May 11th is coming. Is the passport coming? And finally it did. Oh, just in time. So yay. I don't trust the State Department. Sorry. They're good people, I'm sure, and they wanted me to go, but I wasn't sure they were going to get me there. They did. And that's great. So I got my passport. And so on... Friday morning, I will, Lord willing, arrive in Lima around breakfast time, and I'll come off the plane, and there's going to be somebody there who's going to say something like, what on earth are you doing here? How do, why should I let you in this country? Who are you? And I could say, well, I'm Joe, and I'm here to teach Genesis. And you know what I'll say? I don't care who you say you are. Where's your passport? And so I'll pull that baby out and he'll look it over and he'll run it through the computer and then he'll put a big stamp on it, I hope, and, and say, all right, well, have a great time and uh, go, you know, see some llamas and, and whatever, whatever you do while you're in Peru. What is the paperwork you need to get into God's country? What kind of paperwork do you need to get into heaven? You guys are going to receive some paperwork in a little bit. It's going to be great. Confirmation certificate. They look beautiful. Sandy's looking at Bob like, did we get those done? You did. They're good. They're good. So, yeah, we got it. <laughs> and that'll be wonderful. And, and, and that paperwork says you have been taught the word of God and it will have Pastor Bob's signature on it. And, and it says that you have been taught the word of God by somebody who loves you and cares about you, somebody that you can trust. And that'll be wonderful. And you hang on to that. That's very special. But I'm just going to tell you, you try to present that as your passport into heaven. It's not going to work. It doesn't get you into heaven. It's the relationship with the Lord Jesus. How does, how does Jesus identify his people? How do we know Jesus? How do we know who he is? And the answer is by faith. We know Christ by faith. We believe. We believe that we are who Jesus says we are. We're rebels against God. We're rebels against his law. We don't like doing what God commands. We love doing what God forbids. We deserve all the wrath of God that's coming upon us. My neighbor's got horses. Very exciting. I'm glad for him. I'm glad they got horses. You know how I found out? My dog was barking like crazy yesterday morning, standing at the edge of the field, barking at the horses. And so I said, Pip, come on. And he came back. I was so glad. And so I brought him in the house and then I let him out about an hour later. And he shot over there and he shot across the field. And I hollered at him and I said, come back, come back, Pip. And he just ignored me. And I ran across the hay field. I ran across the cornfield, which is actually pretty rough. And you know, I'm I'm this running, right? And so things are not going that well. 
but I got a little bit of breath left and I get within about 30 feet of my dog who's barking like crazy at these horses and you know he wouldn't listen. That is so frustrating, isn't it? I know he heard me and I, you know, I'm, I'm in the sifting process, you know, and, uh, and this is bubbling up and wow, that's hard. You know, there's something that's just wrong about someone, even when it's a dog who simply does not listen will not listen, refuses to do what he should do. He's harassing the horses. He's harassing the neighbor who owns the horses. He's making my life miserable. He's doing everything wrong, and he doesn't care. Maddening. God has said, don't do that. Don't do that. Do this. And you know what our natural inclination is? Oh, don't eat the fruit of that tree. Okay, that's the one I'm going for, right? Oh, Love you, serve you, follow you, commit my life to you, God. I'll just go do something else. How, how much of our life do we go through with our fingers in our ears? We're not listening to God. We're going our own way. We've got this figured out. And we're barking at the horses. Those who believe in Christ are those who hear his voice, who follow him, who love him, who serve him, who... who who go to Christ and say, huh, I am so sorry. I am such a sinner. Would you, would you forgive me? And because Jesus is who he says he is, we follow him, we love him, we serve him, we love him because he first loved us. Even while we were sinners, he loved us. And that's the life of faith. Trusting in God to care for my sins, trusting in God to care for my future, loving God, following God, obeying God, living life in relationship with God. I know Jesus. That's the life of faith. And God's people have always been people of faith. They believe what God says. They, they act accordingly. But here's the question. How do you know if your faith is real? Because not all faith is real. Judas Iscariot followed Jesus. He believed in Jesus. But he believed in Jesus. He followed Jesus for all the wrong reasons. How do you know if your faith is a Judas faith? Here's how you know. God will be kind enough to let Satan sift you like wheat. And then you'll find out. And then you'll find out. You will find out in the pressure cooker of life if your instinct is to run to him or to run away and to turn on him. When, when God runs you through the pressure cooker and all your self-confidence is lost, all your self-righteousness is stripped away, is there something left? Here, here, here's where the story finds Peter. It finds him running away from Jesus, doing everything wrong, but you know what he does? He goes, I suppose, behind a tree and he just cries. He cries his eyes out and he says, I can't believe I did that. I can't believe I denied my Lord. If I lose Jesus, I lose everything. And I've done everything I can to lose him. How could he want me? And you know what's in there? Just the tiniest kernel of true faith. If I don't have Jesus, I don't have nothing. It was there. It was there. Testing, trials, sifting will prove faith. It finally gives, gives power, gives power. Sifting unleashes, that's not quite the right word, brings forth the power of Jesus' prayer. I love this. I love Jesus' words here. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. 
Do you think there's even the slightest chance that that prayer won't be answered? Of course it will. Of course it will. Our faith, confirmance, your faith is kept by the power of God. God will see you through the sifting. You will learn that you are dependent on God just to believe. Because the devil and the world will do everything in its power to take that away from you. And you don't have the strength to hang on, but God does. And he will give you the strength, the ability to believe that your faith would not fail. Jesus prays for his own. I, that is so wonderful. Jesus prays for you. Jesus prays for you, people. Take comfort in that. But there's also the power of the story here, the power of Peter's story. You have the power of Jesus' prayer, but you have the power of Peter's story. Look what Jesus says. When you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When when you're sifted, it's surprising, it's severe. Faith is tested beyond what we thought we could bear, and we can't bear it, but God bears us up. And what do we do then? You made it through. You made it through the trial. You made it through the trouble. Your faith was tested, and and it survived. It didn't survive. Looks different on the other side, okay? Because the impurities have been taken out. But it survived by God's grace, by God's power. Now what do you do? Here's what you do. You go strengthen others who are going through it too. You go bring to them help and courage and comfort. Work with those. Help those who are struggling, who are being sifted. Help those who Satan is trying to destroy. Because you'll have been there. You know what it feels like. Maybe you'll have stumbled. Maybe you'll have fallen. But God will be faithful and you will turn again. And when you turn, strengthen your brothers. Confirmands, you need each other. If your faith is going to survive, you need each other. It's not something God calls you to do alone. He calls you to do this together. Church, these seven here, they need you. They will be sifted. They are going to face trials, troubles, and you can't protect them from them. Not from all of them. But you can strengthen them. You can encourage them. You can say, I've been there. I've been through the meat grinder. But God is faithful. You can trust him. I remember I remember so vividly the weekend my Alice was diagnosed with brain tumor. And she was going to die. She would die nine months later. I remember my Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred is in his late 80s now and a godly man. And he wrote to me. He said, God will not abandon you. That line is just burned into my mind because I know he knew by experience what he was talking about and I could trust him. And and those words of comfort helped carry me through the darkest moments of my life. And you've gone through dark moments and God has not abandoned you. And when these guys are going through it, you can come to them and say, God will not abandon you. You're going to go through it, but God will be with you. Kids, confirmants, you need the church if you're going to survive. And we're here for you, and we love you, and we want you to succeed. We're going to do everything we can to help that happen. Because your faith is from God, it's it's not going to fail. Faith is from God. We'll endure. And we're thankful for that. You will live for God, love God, serve God. We're going to help make that happen by God's grace, by God's power. God will not abandon you. All Christians go through difficult trials. 
Our faith is tested, but God never leaves us. He never forsakes us, and he never wastes a trial. I like how he said that those who have gone through trials should strengthen others. May we be a people who help each other along the way. You may have noticed that summer is finally upon us. We had what felt like the longest winter ever here in Minnesota. So because we only have a few short months here to enjoy this weather, the podcast will be taking a summer break. We will have two more episodes and starting in June, we'll take a break until the fall again. And Lord willing, we'll start back up. And until next week, take the truth you've heard, apply it in your life, and live it out in ministry.